1: Discover more about our wondrous world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that changed the world. And learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Let's get today's show going here. Before we go any further, we got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 your sponsors, as well as our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about voting by mail. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or Internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed, particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So, visit votemailchicago.com. That's vote chicago dot com for call scripts and a petition one more time vote v-o-t-e mail m-a-i-l chicago c-h-i-c-a-g-o dot com to make sure that every voter in cook county has safe and equitable polling that's correct heads up wicked construction going on uh at my place today i think the fellers are on lunch break right now cuz uh there's not much <laughs> going on but ever it woke me up this morning at like 7 just bang bang oh just yelling and all kinds of construction they shut my water off so uh if you hear that in the background that's what that is ben how are things going uh in the attic by the way let's get an attic update
2: you know, it's kind of quiet in the attic today, G. Uh The windows are closed, uh, so I can't hear the brown line, and there's no activity at the porta-potty. Oh. Uh, I'll bring you updates as they become available. This is Ben Jarofsky reporting into the
1: Dr. D News. Back to you, Dr. D. Thank you very much. All right, uh, we ha- we'll do the request here. Pat Rod says, see if Ben knows the song Go All The Way by the Raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that song?
2: Can can I pretend I don't know it, and so I will like have a shred of dignity left over for me? Well, oh, why? What's I actually like? know that song. I do know that song. I've never heard of that. Tell us a little bit about well, this song. I don't tell you a little bit about it. It was it came out uh, approximately twelve years before you were born. I would say it was nineteen seventy two early seventies. I remember driving around in my friend's car. Uh, gas was like thirty seven cents a gallon. Please go all the way G, G, G. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. And I was like, oh, that's such a great song. I was 15 years old. Oh, I love the raspberries. I'm a little embarrassed to admit any of this. Any of this. <laughs> As but you I should do be. Know. When you said that song, I'm like, oh, yeah. Memories. I can't believe I didn't know summertime blues immediately. Yeah, I knew you that. Know, actually. From yesterday. Mm-hmm. You, you knew that? I think I've heard there ain't like a no cure for the summertime blues. G G G G G It's It like came to me afterwards. Getting
1: old, folks, is no joke. The Benji show starts now. <laughs> it is Thursday, August sixth. And live from my apartment at Ben's Attic, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Ben Jarofsky talks tiffs, and it's another cannabis conversation with Lisa Solomon and Eddie Armstrong. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jorofsky.
2: Hello, everybody. Ben Jorofsky here. We're calling this Bernie's Back Thursday. And here's why. Got a press release this morning, D, from Bernie Sanders. Senator Bernie Sanders himself personally sent me a press release. You take 10% of the other 10% and that gives you 10%. (laughs) Yep, that Bernie Sanders. It's been a long time since I got to hear Dr. D do his Bernie Sanders. I've missed it, quite frankly.
1: Well, I've missed Bernie uh, this, Sanders, quite frankly.
2: I uh, With you 100%. Uh, but this was a press release from Bernie's Senate office, not his presidential campaign, because as we all know, his presidential campaign, campaign is over. He has already declared his support for Joe Biden. I know that has irritated some of my friends of the leftist persuasion, of the far leftist persuasion who are really struggling with voting for Joey B. Uh, and they kind of wanted Bernie to just, nope, we may defy it till the end, but no, Bernie uh, is a good sport. And he believes that Donald John Trump should be defeated. So he's in all 100% uh, for Joey B. Joe Biden. So um, he's anyways, a good so sport, crazy.
1: while everyone else, not so much a good sport. It's, politics is damn dirty. But hey, Bernie's a good sport. Way to go. Bernie Bur- 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 is a good sport. Yes, he is. All right. So, uh, but just
2: because his campaign is over, ladies and gentlemen, does not mean his movement has ended. And what does Micah always tell us, D? Oh, it's- uh. <laughs>
1: I know he tells us that. A big, yeah, my, boomy voice that guy's
2: got. Uh, Micah, uh, Micah has a booming voice. Uh, and uh, Miles Koflowski, not so much a booming voice, although he does look like a rock star, Jim Morrison. Uh, but they both tell us, these are our friends of the far leftist persuasion to come on our show all the time, particularly Miles. They always tell us it's bigger than a movement. Uh, one man, right? The movement's bigger than a man. Oh, I almost screwed that up. <laughs> Talk correct. to your kids. Say words to your kids. <laughs> It's one of those days. You can hey man, be a, you could be a presidential candidate, Ben. I could be. I could mispronounce Yosemite Sam as easily as Trump can. All right. anyway, so uh, Bertie is still on the case God bless him He sent out this uh, press release Along with Kirsten Gillibrand And uh, Ed Markey Two other senators uh, And here's what the headline says Sanders and colleagues Introduced tax On billionaires' wealth gains To provide health care for all Oh yes Health care for all Remember that D? Uh, that was the big talk Last summer Last summer God I can't help myself I keep hearing that butter cow guy Last summer When uh, the debates were going on, everybody was trying to, you know, figure out a way to promote better health care, health care for all without alienating swing voters in Wisconsin. Remember that day and Amy Klobuchar was saying, you're going to lose if you provide health care for all. You can't we can't win with that. Oh God, memories. Seems like like a like another lifetime. Anyway, Bernie's still on the case. Uh, healthcare for all is uh, a mission that he's de- dedicated the better part of his adult life to, and it's needed more than ever. I would say, D, in the middle of a pandemic. Back to Bernie's plan, uh, he is proposing a sixty percent tax on windfall wealth increases of billionaires during the pandemic. This is just a tax on the amount of money that the billionaires, the the wealthiest of, I think it's like 467 billionaires in America made just between March and August during the pandemic. Uh, and so his quote is somehow, listen folks, I've not been able, I'm just reading the press release here. So this is not like great investigative journalism. So I have not checked out the numbers, but I'm just throwing this out here. This is Bernie's estimates. Uh, After the show today, Dennis will do the deep dive, spend a couple hours going. through (laughs) I will. (laughs) I was just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, going through all the records to see if they bear out. But here's what uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Ed Markey, and Bernie Sanders has sent out: taxing 731 billion dollars uh, in wealth accumulated by 467 billionaires, uh, which represents this is classic Bernie. He has to have a percentage in here. D 0.001 percent of America. So, uh, 0.001 0. percent
3: 0. 0. 0. 0. of America
2: exactly, and that is 731 billion dollars. Say that one to Bernie.
0: Yes, that's billion with a B.
2: Thank you, Mayor Lorraine for helping us. Uh, according to Bernie, this is my favorite part of the calculations. I just see Bernie at his like kitchen table in Vermont with the little calculator here. a calculator. Hear the sound of the calculator, D.
1: Man, you are bringing it on these sound effects today. That's That's stellar. That's stellar, buddy. Back
2: in the old days, uh, we would uh, announce baseball games. We wouldn't be at the park. So we would do things like, there's a base hit to left field. Anyway. Here's, that's the calculator, Bernie, working uh, at his kitchen table, and he figured out the tax would still leave billionaires with $310 billion in wealth gains. And this is just between March and August. So these 467 billionaires brought home 310 billion dollars in wealth gains even if they were taxed at the bernie rate so hold on let's see how much that would let leave them over with d hold on i got my calculator here we go
1: oh you listen to this dan biss oh eat your heart out pal you know that dan biss would be like
2: that uh, I could do that in my head, okay? Who needs a calculator? Daddy Biss would be like, "Oh my God, a calculator!" So 1980s. Anyway, that would leave you with 660 million dollars. That's a million with an M. So that's just the amount of wealth between March and August uh, if you made sure that these 467 billionaires paid the Bernie tax. Uh, let's see. who. How much would Jeff Bezos pay, you asked, uh, Dennis? Good question. $42.8 billion. How much would Elon Musk pay? Excellent question, Dennis. $27.5 billion. Now, I know what you're thinking. I could read your mind. Hey, stop thinking about porno. Hey. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I just went into your mind and that's what I saw. That's not what anyway. I'm thinking
1: about. Oh,
2: okay. Stop thinking about LeBron James, all right? Concentrate on politics. Mark Zuckerberg, that's what you should be thinking about. He would pay 22.8 billion, 22.8 billion with a B, and the Walton family of Walmart, 12.9 billion. So if Bernie's tax was implemented, this is just the amount that the wealthiest people in America would pay for the last, what is it, four or five months? That's a lot of money, ladies and gentlemen. And that's, that, that's a lot of computers that we could buy. People, uh, the kids in the city of Chicago, that's uh, putting in all, improving all the uh, Internet installations, uh, Internet service throughout the city of Chicago. God, I'm having a Joe Biden day. Uh yeah so uh but Bernie wants to dedicate it uh, to healthcare so I'm with him uh 100% on this great idea I think meanwhile up in Wisconsin trying to prevent this from ever happening those dastardly republicans that are up to their dastardly deeds oh yeah Wisconsin of course key swing state uh, in our crazy electoral system We talked yesterday uh, about uh, Mr. Professor Lichtman's prediction that uh, Joe Biden would defeat Donald Trump. Of course, what Mr. Lichtman did not take into calculation, did not take into consideration, is that we have an insane electoral college system so that even if a vast majority of Americans vote to oust Donald Trump, he could still get to stay in the White House by virtue of winning Wisconsin. Wisconsin was the key state, uh, one of the key states last time in 2016 when Trump ousted, uh, defeated Hillary Clinton. So he needs to win Wisconsin to hold on to the White House and do whatever he can to keep things like Bernie's billionaire tax from becoming a reality. And how is he going to do that? The key to winning Wisconsin for Donald Trump means minimizing the black vote which is we all know is overwhelmingly against trump i had a clip that i sent to dennis i don't think it worked about lebron or something lebron james said he's on my mind today because i heard him say this did you, did you get that
1: clip d uh yeah i found it here hold on you don't let's think if you it don't think it worked well let's well, see well, let's you are ahead. having a joe biden day we will <laughs> probably play That's some sad. ads
2: yeah, let's see
1: Tennis, play the LeBron James uh, Tape uh, Yeah, it's got an ad first uh, So, you know, you sent it to me like a minute Before the show
2: Hey, come on huh?
1: Come let's on, Biden
2: I'll just tell you what it says. LeBron James, the great basketball player for the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, was asked a question about Donald John Trump, and immediately said he didn't care what Donald John Trump had to say. Trump is upset because NBA players are taking a knee uh, during the the season that's continued in the bubble in Florida. Almost all the NBA players are taking a knee uh, to protest against uh, racism and police brutality. Uh, And LeBron James essentially said, I don't care what Donald John Trump says. I don't care if he stops watching our game. And uh, the big showdown will be in november and he was urging people to vote in november against trump so it's pretty clear from what lebron james had to say that there's
3: this overwhelmingly growing movement oh you got it D? Uh, I, I, don't, um, I really don't think the basketball community um um are, are sad about losing uh his, his viewership him viewing the, the game um, and um, that's all I gotta say. I don't. I don't wanna. I'm not gonna get into a because I already know where this could go, where it could could lead to for tomorrow for me. I'm not gonna get into it. But um, I think uh, our, our game is in a in a in a beautiful position, and we have fans all over the world. And uh, our fans not only uh, love the way we play the game. We try to give it back to them with our commitment to the game, but also respect, um, you know, what else we try to bring to the game and acknowledging, you know, what's right and what's wrong, you know. And, uh, and I hope everyone, uh, you know, no matter the race, no matter the color, no matter the size, would uh, see uh, what, what, what leadership that we have in our, at the top in our country. And uh, understand that in November um, is right around the corner. And it's and it's a big moment for us as Americans. Um, if um, we, we continue to talk about we want, you know, better, uh, won't change. Uh, uh, we have an opportunity to do that. So, uh, but the game is um, the game will, will will go on without <laughs> without his eyes on it. Uh, I, I can sit here and speak for all of us that love the game of basketball. Uh, we could care less. November, right around the corner. Good job, D, by the way.
2: Can we, everybody, give a, a round of applause to Dr. D, because that was quick. Thank you. Right Thank the you. The show, D, D, here. It's not like uh, when Dave Glowatz comes on and it's like an hour or two beforehand, so he has plenty of time to set down up. So for that quick little
1: tennis could you play lebron james and you just send a Uh, link and it could be like three (laughs) minutes long yo d play that like uh okay and i just hit play anyway or you send me a website with like four different audio (laughs) things i'm like okay which one is it dude (laughs) i don't know man play it
2: Ladies and gentlemen, he—he's a saint. Puts up with me every day. Every day, there's a variation on the D. Do this, D. Ah, D. The air conditioning just kicked on. Woo, feeling better already. Uh, Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, November's right around the corner. LeBron James, let it be known. You know, remember he started, I love how he did that, D. He goes, he starts off by saying, I don't want to get into it because whatever I say now, we'll get a response from him, and then you'll ask me tomorrow about it. I'll be doing this. And then he can't help himself. LeBron James cannot stand Donald John Trump. I think he despises him even more than I do. (laughs) He couldn't help himself. November's right around the corner. Well, LeBron James, I know you're listening to the show right now. You're a big listener. I gotta tell you right now. He loves working.
1: the Monroe segment.
2: He does.
1: <laughs> he loves Monroe. Oh, and uh, he he thinks Adolfo just curses way too much. Adolfo Mondragon. Uh, well LeBron actually
2: uh, was victorious in the over-under on Adolfo Mondragon. He made a bet with D Wade. Uh, did you hear about this, D? They were betting him. How many seconds before Adolfo dropped the first F bomb? F bomb and uh LeBron defeated D. Wade. Yeah, D. Wade had to pay him. I think it was like $1,000. So Anyway, working overtime to undercut the efforts by LeBron James and other uh, Americans is the Republican Party, Donald John Trump. There's two ways, as I say, to minimize the black votes. The first is to literally suppress it. Kick black people off the voting rolls on the flimsiest of uh, reasons. Close voting booths so they're deterred from voting. This is what happens in Wisconsin, what's been going on in Milwaukee. We all know that. And the other is to divert those who do vote with frivolous campaigns. Hence, Kanye West of the birthday party. Uh, The man is clearly struggling with mental health issues. This is the latest from the New York Times. I'll just read this uh, to you. During appearance in South Carolina last month, Kanye West broke down crying. He later tweeted that his wife, Kim Kardashian, quote tried to bring a doctor to lock me up. Amid his erratic behavior, his wife has been, has spoken out about her husband's struggles with mental illness, and Mr. West has publicly apologized to his wife for some of his comments. All right. Uh, meanwhile, some about two months ago, Uh, Kanye West launched his presidency's campaign for presidency. Uh, He explained that he was going to use a Wakanda-like management approach, referring to the fictitious country from Black Panther. He is his running mate is Michelle Tidball, a self-described. Biblical life coach based in Cody, Wyoming, where the West have a ranch. Ms. Tidball, according to TMZ, once advocated making beds and doing dishes as a way to treat mental illness. So that's Kanye West's running mate. That's his campaign. Uh, It was something that erupted at a a press conference about, I forget, about a month or two ago. Um, I don't think Kanye West himself has made one move in the direction of making his campaign a reality. And yet, up in Wisconsin, there are efforts to gather the signatures they need to put Kanye na- Kanye West's name on the ballot uh, as a presidential candidate. And it turns out, we talked about this yesterday, there's more details in today's New York Times that... Guess who's running that effort? Republican operatives. I read you the lead. The effort to get Kanye West on the ballot as a third party candidate in several states is increasingly looking like an operation run by President Trump's allies and Republican activists uh, that is aimed at diverting votes from Joe Biden. The strategy became overt on Tuesday when Lane Rulin, a lawyer who has worked for the Trump campaign, delivered ballot signatures to Wisconsin election officials on behalf of the West campaign. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel also reported that at least five other people connected to Mr. West's Wisconsin bid are active in the Republican Party or are Trump supporters. Several other per- people active in the party include Mark. Jacoby, an executive at a company called Let the Voters Decide, which has been collecting signatures for the West campaign in Ohio, West Virginia and Arkansas. Mr. Jacoby was arrested on voter fraud in 2008 while he was doing work for the California Republican Party, and he later pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor. What did Donald John Trump have to say about this? Well, once he wiped the smile off his face, he said that he had no knowledge of what Kanye West was doing, he also spared Kanye West the type of criticism he usually unleashes against anyone who poses him, as Mr. West ostensibly would be doing. Yeah, that's the big joke. As if Kanye West is actually running, legitimately running, and as if he's running against Donald Trump. Donald Trump knows that the only reason Kanye West serves any purpose in this coming election is to siphon votes from Joe Biden. Look, I know there are lefties out there who will never, ever, ever vote for a centrist like Joe Biden. I know it, D. I know they wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I know they wouldn't vote for Barack Obama. I know they wouldn't vote for Bill Clinton, John Kerry. I know this. I live among many lefties, hardcore lefties. Okay, but just to give them an option, just to make it easier for a few other voters not to vote for Biden, Trump and his operatives are propping up Kanye West. Folks, this is the most hardball machine-style politics you can imagine. This is straight out of the Michael Joseph Madigan playbook Anything to protect those billionaires from Bernie. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes. Yeah. will be here. Come on. (laughs) Woo. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm all fired up. And I saw that Kanye West shenanigans. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to hear it. Republicans in Illinois weeping over Michael Madigan. Why aren't you criticizing what the Republican Party is doing in Wisconsin? No, they're sobbing over Michael Madigan. Remember when my, that kid wanted to run against, for alderman against Michael Madigan's candidate down in the 13th Ward? Remember all the crime the Republicans had? The Tribune was weeping. Article after article about how could he play these dastardly machine politics? How could they deny voters the opportunity to go one-on-one against Machine operatives and machine aldermen, this is just a, a d- dastardly attack on our democratic principles. Small d, democratic principles. But they're awfully silent when Trump's operatives are Wisconsin propping, propping up Kanye West to try to divert votes from Joey Biden. Anyway, uh, Eddie Armstrong will be here. He's a former state rep uh, from Arkansas. He used to be the, uh, the leader of the Democrats in the state house in Arkansas. He knows a thing or two about dealing with Republicans in a Republican-led uh, 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 house in a Republican-led legislative body. So we'll be talking to him about politics. Uh, he's also got a cannabis country. We're doing some cannabis, uh, excuse me, a cannabis company. So we'll do some cannabis conversation. And he's an, he's an Arkansas some. man, is that right, like you said? Well, he now lives in the city of Chicago, but he's from Arkansas.
1: And uh, maybe uh, he has some, maybe you can uh, bring up your, uh, your latest uh, riff on Bill Clinton with him.
2: Oh, yeah, I already brought it up to him when I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> I win. Ladies and gentlemen, I wrote it for the reader yesterday. Uh, I am so sick and tired of of William Jefferson Clinton, Bill Clinton. Cut the cord. Come on, Dems. Cut that cord. You should sever yourself from Bill Clinton. It's nothing but an anchor that's dragging the party down.
1: And let them hear your Bill Clinton impression, you know? Uh, 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 I like Eddie Armstrong.
2: Uh, (laughs) Eddie Armstrong's outstanding young politician uh, from Little Rock had a childhood
1: sweetheart uh, in Little Rock. You're kind of doing Obama there, but work on it. Work on it before he comes on and let him hear that Uh, Bill Clinton. Wait, hold on. Here we go. Hold on. on.
2: I love Dr. D. Dr. D. Dr. D and Eddie Armstrong are two of my favorite people. Yeah, get that Uh, Southern draw. Get
1: that Southern draw in there. Let's really uh, make him happy.
2: Uh, You know, uh, I love Dr. D. You know, Dr. D played that LeBron little LeBron James tape. It was really masterful radio. He must have gone to radio school. That's Bill Clinton. All right. But you're right. Somehow or other, oh uh, peanut butter cup. D, <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying my imitation. I gotta broaden them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I got uh, the Valley
2: Girl. I gotta go beyond that. Alright? Got a feature in stand-up.
1: Well, let's hear that Valley Girl real quick. Fred Fred on the live stream chat loves this.
2: <laughs> the Valley Girl? Yeah. Um like uh, I'm voting for Kanye because I believe in the birthday party, and I don't trust any politicians. Yeah. Alright, that's enough. That's
1: enough. That's enough. Kardashian.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's my Valley Girl. Which I kind of use for everybody, by the way.
1: You ever notice that, dude? Yes.
2: <laughs> anyway, what's the news, young man? I know you got news,
1: huh? Oh, you're not going to call me Dr. Doobie, huh? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I forgot. But before we
2: get to that, the young man from Alton, the man that Eddie Armstrong, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, and the Valley Girls all refer to Dr. Doobie with the news.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Not a doctor. Hey, and remember, vote blue no matter who. Play the radio.
0: Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night,
4: the the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words.
1: No matter who. D,
2: you got to make sure kids hear words. How many times have I told you that? Okay?
1: Okay. Get out there and make sure they hear words. Good Lord. All right. It's time to find out. Oh, by the way, guys, construction going on right outside of my apartment, like wicked construction. I'm talking just heavy machinery. Wait, is is Ed Maher out there? (laughs) It's pretty wicked. All right. uh, let's, Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Now, if this were any other Illinois media outlet or program... It'd be considered a slow news day. But not here on the Ben Jarosky Show. Oh, no, because today in the local news, there are two things that our host loves to rant and rave like a lunatic about. Number one. Downstate Illinois State Rep. DB Darren Bailey. Hey! And, and number two. Tax increment financing, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. TIFFs yes several tangents within tangents on the way but first (laughs) a chicago pandemic update now we've been keeping a close eye on the city of chicago as it deals with this damn dirty coronavirus and people you all know it has been a roller coaster we've seen restaurants businesses and bars close down and open back up then close back down again then open back up but ever since march 26th back when the pandemic began chicago beaches have been closed. And the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the Sun-Times staff. Chicagoans will soon be able to enjoy a chilled beverage and a delicious meal at their favorite beachfront restaurants. But the beaches themselves still remain closed. Yes Ben Jarofsky, you'll have to keep that Chicago Bulls beach towel in the closet a little longer because the beaches in Chicago are still closed but you can enjoy a nice meal by the beach. Uh, ben your thoughts is this a smart move to keep the beaches closed still
2: No I I've never understood it like everybody always I got to start like how everybody I am not a doctor. You know we used to do that gag. D. We've been doing that gag for three years now. everybody does it You know, like before they have to opine about the pandemic, right? They go, well, I'm not a doctor. And then they opine like they were a doctor. Okay. So, you know, so I'll just start. I'm not a doctor, D, but I do not understand what larger purpose is served by closing the beaches and yet opening the restaurants along the beaches. I don't know, D. it would seem to me that it'd be easier to... Spread the virus if you're sitting at a restaurant as opposed to laying on a beach. Just saying that, D. But again, D, not a doctor, okay? Uh, And and by the way, I don't know if I said this uh, uh, last week. I'm having those Joe Biden moments. I can't remember what I said last week. But I had a couple friends come over to the house, and they were telling me about, we were all social distancing. Just want to let you know, spread out around. Yeah, don't come arrest him, Lori. Hold on. Get out of here. Uh, but <laughs> that was me getting arrested. Uh, so they were telling me about how they went swimming. They're not from Chicago. So they were, they, they met up with some friends that they had in Chicago. And uh, the friends said, hey, let's go swimming. So they t- took an Uber, uh, the, these people being of the millennial persuasion, team, uh, to the uh, lakefront. And they went swimming off of the dock or at Belmont Harbor and they were laughing they were saying that uh, the water was polluted you know I mean there's a lot of boats and a lot of gasoline trails uh, and uh, it was kind of scary with the boats around them but there were dozens and dozens of people on the rocks jumping into the the harbor as polluted and smelly as the water may be because it was a really hot day that day And I explained the reason all these people were at the Belmar Harbor is because the beaches are closed. So the impact, the effect of closing the beaches was to channel all the people who wanted to go swimming from a beach where there are less boats around to run you over and less gasoline to drink because there's no boats polluting the water at that area directly uh, to to channel them to the Belmont Harbor. So I could not understand what purpose was served by closing the beaches. But you know what, D I'm not the mayor, mayor. Thank God. (laughs) Mayor made her decision. So this is one where I'm not, Quite a board on board with Mayor Lori Lightfoot on, you know. So, uh, so now they're still going to close the beaches, but they're going to open the restaurants. Uh, okay. I don't why. Why don't you do both? Can't you do both? I mean, by the way, they have lifeguards. So there's lifeguards who are employed, and their job D is when you go to the beach to go swimming is to tell you. You can't go swimming. So this is the lifeguard. The lifeguard's job is to kick you out. I will kick you out and just send you packing. So where do you go? You, you jump off uh, at Belmont Harbor where the boats are. So, D, I don't understand this. I do not understand uh, the, the logic that's governing the decision to close the beaches. I think
1: in- it's a PR thing. I think uh, she doesn't want that picture of everybody at the beach at one time. That's what I think.
2: All right, I guess so. So better at get a picture of everybody at the at the Belmont Harbor. Hey, Belmont Harbor we're gonna jump off and dodge a boat and swallow some gasoline. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, but you know, millennials are of sturdier stock. And Z's, by the way, I, I want to sh- I send a, a, a shout out to uh, Joshua Smeiser Leon. He sent me an article today, D, pointing out that there are more Z's than millennials. So we had this conversation yesterday with Jay Murray. Here we um, go, that, here we partner. go. Controversy <laughs> begins on the Ben Jaroski show. No, I'm gonna say nothing but nice things about Gen X. Love Gen X. Everything I said yesterday, please disregard about Gen X. Love Gen X, okay? <laughs> (laughs) And I love the Z's. Z's are great. Got to be nice to these people. They're the biggest generation. They're the ones who
1: download our show. So, yes, please be nice. (laughs) Okay. so uh, anyway, I do not understand. Back to Laura. I do not understand what the logic is here, but she's the mayor. So, yes, beaches are still closed. The lakefront parking lots remain closed as well. And while this is good news for business beach owners, or yeah, beach business owners, I should say, uh, one is a little concerned. Robbie Glick is his name. He's the owner of Reggie's on the Beach Eatery. Robbie Glick said he fears uh, this may deter customers from coming to the restaurant. Robbie Glick said, "quote Our parking lots aren't going to be open, so it's going to be a challenge for people to get here. But I think we'll still do good. I think people will still find a way. And it is really beautiful at our spot. So." It'll be worth the trek. Hey, wait a plug your business there, pal. In the middle of that quote. Uh, Reggie's is offering a shuttle service from its South Loop location to the beach to help ease the burden on some Chicagoans. He also said people can ride their bikes on the Lakeshore Trail or park in the lot on the west side of Lakeshore Drive and then walk to the beach. Uh, we already lost half the season, so it's better than nothing, Glick said. And we're just grateful that they listened to us and are letting us open. Well, I
2: like, again, listening to uh, Glick's comments just underscores everything I just said. If you want to help the businesses uh, along the beach, open up the beach. And uh, that means there would be less people congregated in the businesses, because there'd be more people on the beach, and yet Glick could have some of the runoff. So it just, it doesn't make any sense at all. The, the more I think about it, uh, I'm gonna disagree with Glick at one point. I do believe that they should uh, prevent people from driving uh, into uh, uh, the parks at this time. Uh, you know, to, the, the, over, the total overflow. We talked about this earlier. Uh, got i be been talking about this since March. But, uh, yeah, I do not understand why they closed it. If you want to help Glick and the other uh, restaurant owners along the lakefront, only oh, makes sense. Open up the beaches. You got the lifeguards. I think better better use of a lifeguard is to have them guarding people who are swimming as opposed to kicking off people so they jump off the rocks where there are no lifeguards. But you know what, D? I'm just a talk show host Not the mayor
1: Once again, thank God Also, hey, calling all fishermen Come here, give me that thing <laughs> Park Bait The bait and tackle shop on the Chicago Lakefront at Montrose Harbor since the 1930s is set to Reopen this Friday After being closed since The lakefront shut down on March 26th, Ben, you're gonna be there Right? Oh, yeah, I love fishing.
2: I don't understand why they closed that thing down. I mean, I uh, wh- oh, guess they didn't want fishermen. Yeah, oh, no fishing. <laughs> I don't know. See, and then, like, the paper's filled with stories today. We talked about it a lot yesterday, so we're not really going to redo it. Closing the schools. You know what I'm, I mean? D, it's, sometimes it's like, it's like our city like, just jumps from one issue to the other, Without any regard to the issue it just left. So, for instance, the schools. There's this big debate: uh, is it safe to send kids back to the schools? Will it infect teachers? Will the teachers infect their families? Will the kids infect each other? So they go home and infect their families. You know, the Catholic schools. They they say, nope, we can do it. We're going to open. Some a few suburban school districts are saying we can do we can open. Chicago says, no, nope, I'm sorry. It's it's too dangerous. So we have this, you know, th- this focus on the schools. But the, a lot of people in the in the papers today were very critical of Lori Lightfoot uh, for closing the schools. They think that she was bowing to the pressure of the Chicago Teachers Union. In other words, there was no reason. Uh, to call, I just think people are looking for an excuse to beat up on the Chicago Teachers Union. D, if I could take this tangent within a tangent. The Chicago Teachers Union is so reviled by sort of like mainstream Chicago. It's remarkable. I don't know of any union, even the Fraternal Order of Police is not as reviled. The Fraternal Order of Police is led by a, uh, a president who endorses Donald Trump. Donald Trump got 12% point five percent of the vote uh in chicago so you would think that the leaders of the fraternal order of police would be more reviled than chicago teachers oh no they're <laughs> pounding jesse Sh- pounding jesse Sharkey in the tribute today about three cup. boom 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 because the teacher said we didn't want to go back to school uh we didn't want to open up the schools it's too dangerous So, everybody's like mad at the teachers, and they think like Lori Lightfoot bent, you know, her, she just was going to open the schools, but she didn't because she was afraid of a teacher strike. So, it's like the schools could have opened. Meanwhile, the beaches are closed. It's too dangerous to have people in an open area where they're outside, uh, where there's no worry, concern about ventilation. That's too dangerous. But it's okay to put them in an old classroom with the ventilation stinks and they could just pass the disease on everybody else. You got that, D? Maybe if they put the uh, Chicago Teachers Union in charge of the lifeguards, there would be a different attitude toward the beach. Then they'd be like, open those damn beaches! It's because the Chicago Lifeguard Union is against opening the beaches. Anyway, I would say that the opposition to the Chicago Teachers Union and the city of Chicago is perhaps stronger than the concern about health. I'm just throwing that out there, D. I'm just saying the mainstream Chicago cannot stand the Chicago
1: Teachers Union. All right. Once again, the Bait and Tackle Shop on Montrose Harbor Park Bait will be open this Friday. Oh, I think I got one. I think I got <laughs> Oh, man, it's just a damn boot. Should have never closed it in the first place. Threw it back in the water. All right, now let's... No, boot. I didn't catch that one. I was drinking. Well, that's
2: a good... This guy's got a million of them. There's those subtle ones he throws out there. You know, this is- Every now and then, he just throws that out there. I got a boot. That's good.
1: All right, now let's talk TIFFs. And listeners, you can't see this, but right now, at this very moment, a Chicago political podcast host is salivating and ready to talk about tax increment financing. He's a nerd. The following comes from Chicago Block Club and Hannah Alani. Now, we now know of the first building being built in the soon to be Lincoln Yards in Bucktown. Sterling Bay is dedicated. its first Lincoln Yards building to Chicago's biotechnology needs. Sorry, poor people and people who actually need help. Uh, An eight story life sciences focused office building will be built on West Concord Place in Bucktown near Home Depot and longtime businesses The Hideout. Oh, you know The Hideout, right Ben? Hey, Timmy Totten!
2: What up, T?
1: (laughs) And Ada or Ada Street Restaurant. Sterling Bay plans to break ground on the building in early 2021. The Mm. the 320,000 square foot building is planned on the southwest end of the 52-acre Lincoln Yards mega development. The news was first reported by the Tribune. Sterling Bay spokeswoman Julie Gowdy told Block club that the decision to build for the biotech industry was influenced by a surge in demand. The new Lincoln Yards building will meet the growing demand for established companies like biotech company Evozine and for recent college graduates in need of laboratory space to launch startups. Gowdy said, quote, I hate Ben Jarofsky. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> G- Gowdy said quote by creating this lab space here in the city we're hoping we can help the city retain those companies that in the past have had to leave because they don't have the resources to stay e- e- Evozine is a Chicago based company even if we didn't have the space for them they'd have to leave Oh, wow! Yeah, everybody
2: just pack up and go because you know it's so easy to move around in the pandemic. They're just going to leave. Uh, See ya. They're no, going to go to Gary. That, that, that was always the threat. Like, you keep put, imposing these taxes. You stop giving out TIFF handouts. I'm going to Gary. I don't know if anybody's gone to Gary. Uh, Monroe Anderson from Gary. Sorry, D, I interrupted you. I apologize.
1: And that's all right. Now, I'm about to read something that uh, Crane's Chicago Business reported. So, whoa. as I do with anything we read <laughs> from this Media outlet, I'm trying to book one Greg Hines for the program. I think he'd be a great interview. Our listeners would really like him. So for the love of God, don't make fun of him and his poor poker playing skills. All right. I don't even know if this is from him. I don't even know, Ben. I don't know. All right. So just so just lay off, dude. If poker isn't the lead,
2: we know it's from him. If there's a, if there's any reference to, uh, you know, five card stunt, we know it's a great guy. So go
1: ahead. Cranes reported that the biomedical and biotech sectors accounted for 44 percent of 877 million dollars in funding raised by 942 startups spun out from Illinois universities between 2013 and 2017. But the number of local facilities available for clinical tests hasn't kept up in 2018 the 12.5 million square feet of commercial lab space in the chicago area was only 1.2 percent vacant cranes reported way to go by the way you're not insulting mr hines uh the vacancy rate in boston by <laughs> contrast was 4.5 percent all right now we go to alderman brian hopkins ben of what ward come on come on D number two number 2 You're right, still a huge nerd. Okay, <laughs> Alderman Brian Hopkins said in a press yeah. release that the new building will address this need. Here's the quote from oh. Hopkins quote. I hate Ben Jarofsky. No. <laughs> <laughs> Once again just kidding. Oh lord. Hopkins oh, Hopkins said quote the propaganda. This <laughs> <Go> new <ahead. laughs> this new life sciences building will serve as a cornerstone at Lincoln oh. Yards, creating yeah. good jobs. OK, <laughs> not for people <laughs> like me, but it'll create good jobs, uh, providing vital resources to the city's growing biomedical research community uh-huh. and transforming the North Branch Corridor into an exclusive urban environment positioned Ooh. for future growth. That was pretty. Whoa, that was really Whoa. good.
2: Yeah, really wow. good. Yeah,
1: Lord, that's uh, a smart way,
2: guy. Yeah, by the way, according to the tribunal, I read their story right before it came to the Tribune. This is not even in the TIF district. So they were building this, it's got nothing to do with the TIF. Somebody they link one to the other. You know, this is part of pro- what I call propaganda. So Chicagoans think, "Oh, this TIF is really helping me because they're building this building with this industry that more likely than not, I will never ever work at. And won't be of any use to my most immediate concern, which is, how am I going to pay the rent when I'm without a job in the middle of a pandemic and I got health bills? It absolutely no concern of no use to me in any manner. But let's get that message out there, Chicago. Oh, progress. They're creating jobs. They're keeping businesses from leaving Chicago like I'd say, they were just going to go to Philadelphia or something. D. That's it. Going to get in the car like the Beverly Hillbillies. Going to move to, uh, where did the Beverly, they're going to just load up the truck and get out. Is that what, is that what it is? Well, that's what said in the Tribune must be true. Said it in cranes must be true. Not even in the TIFF, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't even need that TIFF. If Sterling Bay felt there was a demand for this startup building for computer geeks. And they should have spent their own money building the building. They should not have diverted money from our schools, our police, and our fire. By the way, unmentioned in that Tribune article, unmentioned by Mr. Uh, Alderman Brian Hopkins, unmentioned in the Crane story is the front page story in the uh, Sun-Times. Chicago Chicago Police Department budget blues, 47 million plus on overtime. They blew a hole in the budget. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot is trying to figure out how she's going to patch up the budget for things that people ostensibly need right now. So now they're trying to sell us on this $1.3 billion handout to one of the largest developers in the city of Chicago in one of the fastest gentrifying areas of the city of Chicago that does not need assistance. Certainly, it's not at the top of the list of things that need assistance, but let's feed them. Let's feed them some propaganda. Open up, eat, (laughs) taste good. Man, I read it in the Tribune, uh, and I read it in cranes. It's really cool, it's a startup building and (laughs) all these engineers will work there and if they didn't build it there, they'd have gone to Milwaukee. Where are they going? We're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody's going anywhere. We can't even figure out if we're gonna open up the lakefront. Can't open the lakefront. Oh, but this company's gonna just hop on out, fly off to California. No, they're gonna go to Florida. Yep, yeah, we're going to move to Jacksonville Where the pandemic's raging oh, Chicagoans Just open up, eat Ah, Just believe whatever they feed you mm, Tastes good It's not even in the TIFF Ladies and gentlemen You didn't need to give them 1.3 billion For this project It's not even in the TIFF It's outside the TIFF Mentioned in the Tribune Give the Tribune credit for mentioning that. It's outside. Just outside the the tip. (laughs) Sorry, D. Don't apologize to me. Is there any more to this story? Because I'm about to go on another
1: riff. We got some more here. First off, shout out to Frank. He weighed in on the live stream chat. Frank says, it's such an obnoxious talking point that if you dare to raise taxes on the rich or businesses, they'll leave. It's so effing stupid, but he didn't say effing.
2: (laughs) Thank you for cleaning it up. Absolutely. I began. I began the show by talking about Bernie's proposal to tax the wealthiest people in America uh, on the money they've made in the last six months. While so many other people are really struggling, Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk and the Walton family. All right. Bernie is proposing to tax just some of the money they made over the last six months to raise money for health care. And here in, the, in Chicago, we're like, wow, thank goodness we gave 1.3 billion to a really wealthy developer. Otherwise, somehow or other, this great project would not have happened, and they would have moved to Tennessee. I'm with you, Frank, 100%.
0: Yes, that's billion with a B.
1: Wait, I think I got something. Hold on. <laughs> Wait, Crane Chicago Business Magazine? What was
0: that doing?
1: Threw it back in the water. Oh, my God. Go ahead. Someone must
2: have been reading it on the rocks and just, I don't know, went for a dip
1: and it washed
2: into the water.
1: The Lincoln Yards development is a controversial, boy, you can say that. Six billion dollar mega development along the north branch of the Chicago River. The project's footprint encompasses both Bucktown and Lincoln Park. Neighboring residents, business owners and activists fought the project over the course of months of hotly contested debates. But in April 2019, City Council voted to approve a one point three billion dollar in subsidies for Lincoln Yard. The Lincoln Yards TIF District, named the Cortland and Chicago River TIF, will generate at least $900 million to cover the cost of infrastructure projects to pave the way for Lincoln Yards to be
2: built. $900 million that you suckers and saps are paying for in the city of Chicago. But just be happy, folks. Just read that article and say to yourself, Ben, if we didn't give them that $900 million, that company would have gone. To Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it says so. Brian Hopkins said so, so it must be true.
1: Boy, you know, I can't afford rent, and they're about to kick me out of my damn building, but I'm glad Lincoln Yards is coming, you know? <laughs>
2: yeah, right. Thank
1: goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, But these
1: projects include new bridges over the Chicago River, a new metro station, an extension of the Bloomingdale Trail, everyone's favorite, the 606 park system. (laughs) Oh,
2: thank goodness we extended that because, you know, uh, I don't know if the city could survive without extending that and satisfying. (laughs) You have been, you've gone too far when you make fun of the Bloomington Trail. Okay, I like it.
1: I like to jog along it. Water taxis, dedicated water taxis. Okay, guys, like you said, uh, we're in a pandemic. But, man, please bring those water taxis. Water, but you can't go swimming. You can go in the water taxi.
2: Don't go swimming, okay? If you go swimming, I will lock you up. Don't go swimming. By the way, you were reading Black Club. I just want to point out that yes, that TIF deal was passed uh, during the Rom, in the last City Council meeting of Rahm Emanuel's term. So it's really Rom's TIF, but there was a lawsuit filed to uh, obliterate it, and Lori Lightfoot sent in the lawyers to defeat that lawsuit. So I gotta say it's Lori's deal as much as it's
1: Rom's at this point. Just saying today's show brought to you by water taxis (laughs) and it says here a potential light rail transit way and extension of the city's street grid so uh, oh yeah that's all i got here in this story
2: ben okay well can i just say a little something i see we're almost out of time i coincidentally uh at the same time uh that this story was breaking the uh county clerk karen yarborough sent out her annual TIF report uh i have not had a comp- time to completely digest the report it is a feeding frenzy for TIF geeks as we speak tommy tresser uh is in his room at home with his calculator huh, let's see, carry the two, four, five. i mean this is just uh this is where <laughs> they itemize. i love that
1: calculator bit dude i love and, it keep it like oh like keep people. it around yeah, yeah. Hold on, I think I broke it.
2: I pounded it so much. I love this calculator. I've used this calculator to calculate so many uh, TIFF stories. Anyway. So, this is where they tell you how much each TIF district is going to gather uh, in the, the tax year. And it's a 2019 tax year, which means this year. You're going to ask, Ben, why is it uh, the 2019 tax year if we're in 2020? Anything they can do to keep you confused, they will do when it comes to taxes. OK, so don't ask questions. Uh, but uh, anyway, the city of Chicago, uh, the TIF districts in the city of Chicago will gather $926 million in this year alone. That's up from $841 million last year. That is a lot of money. And that particular Cortland-Chicago River TIF, uh, it's in its first year of existence. It gathered $3.3 million, almost $3.4 million. Every year it's going to go up. Essentially, Sterling Bay, the big property tax, the big property owner in that area, Uh, instead of giving its property tax dollars uh, to the city and the county and the school district, et cetera, is getting to spend it on himself, its own project. So good deal for them, happy for them, okay? But not a good deal for the rest of us. $926 million. uh, That's the the amount of money that is going to go into each tip district, And uh, yes, I rant and rail about it, D, because one, it drives up my uh, property tax bill, which I managed to pay, thank you very much. Uh, And uh, it drives up the amount I pay every year in property taxes without giving money to the things I really want to fund, like public schools, like fire and police. Yes, I'm old school. I believe in having uh, a police department but I also believe in better training for the police department. So how about better training for the police department? Nope, no money for that because it's going over to the TIFs. Pensions, uh, take care of old people. Nope, can't take care of old people because it's going to the TIFs. Got a huge budget hole. Let's not even discuss the tips. Let's pretend they don't exist. Instead, let's talk about that bioengineering building. They're building right near the Home Depot on the Chicago River. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to keep companies from leaving for Portugal or wherever they were going to go in the middle of the pandemic. So, yeah, this report just came out, D. 926 million in Chicago, the tips. That's a lot of money. Uh, my advice to Lori Lightfoot, not, not that she's taking advice from me, uh, is that she uses as much of that money as possible to get us through the next year with the pandemic, uh, pay off our basic obligations because we're facing some serious challenges, obviously. But you got 926 million, and I would say dealing with the realities that people in, in Chicago are facing right now, with potential evictions, with. Unemployment, with not knowing where the money is gonna come in for a next month of expenses. Dealing with that reality. Not going to be able to go to school. Dealing with that reality. And if you can't go to school, a lot of people can't go to work. So dealing with all that, the reality, I think is far more important and shoveling more money over to Sterling Bay, let's spend some of that nine hundred twenty-six million dollars taking care of people in the city of Chicago who are struggling with uh, the hard realities of this pandemic.
1: All right, well, no surprise, our local news segment was taken up pretty much by Ben ranting on Tiffs, but we have <laughs> some Darren Bainley news, uh, the oh, downstate me. day rep. We're going to be discussing that at the uh, end of today's program because oh. uh, we got guests we got to talk to. All right, we got a cannabis conversation coming up yes, here, we do. but we want to remind. <laughs> everybody to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y the letter J Show on Facebook Twitter and Instagram All right, you could do that, you could send us an email if you'd like, uh, Benny J Show at gmail.com in fact our good friend David reached out to us on uh, the email account, you can do the same, Benny J Show at gmail.com uh, I believe it was two days ago we uh, talked about the, uh, the group against Pritzker uh, Illinois Rising action david sent us an email said uh, illinois rising action more like illinois lying assholes okay david, <laughs> Come on. No, that, was pretty david. Good, that was real good <laughs> uh, be like david send us a foul-mouthed email benny j show at gmail.com also uh we suggest if you haven't yet check out the latest chicago reader column from ben jarofsky this week he's riffing on bill clinton he's been doing it all week Cut the cord, he says here. Uh, Ben says, I'm so over with this guy. That's right, Bill. We're breaking up. He's breaking up with Bill Clinton, guys. Go check out the latest Chicago Reader column from Ben Jarofsky at thechicagoreader.com. And while you're at it, it turns out. I mean, Ben earlier said he was old school. He can really take school out of that sentence. He's old. (laughs) He's been doing these columns since the 90s, guys. So go check this out. Uh, 80s. Okay. I was trying to help you, but yeah, okay. You're even older. Uh, Go check out his columns. Uh, Look at the Benny J archive. You can read his columns all the way back. I think this goes to like 1990. I think they were just... Whoever was in charge of this was like, all right, I'm done for the day. This guy's done a lot of columns. So I think they capped it at about 1990, 91. Uh, a lot of very interesting articles. It's really cool, too, when you go back and look at, uh, you know, what Ben was talking about. And then, you know, say you uh, read something uh, about, uh, I don't know, uh, a politician who's doing something now. And, you know, they're like. Pat Quinn, for example. I know you've talked with Pat Quinn a few times uh, in the 90s, and you know then he became governor. It's just really interesting. So go check out the archive from Ben Jarofsky as well. And you can leave us a voicemail. It's true. It's damn true. 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Call The Ben Jarofsky Show. We're not going to answer, but leave us a voicemail. That's what we want you to do with this phone number. Leave us a voicemail, and there's a good chance we will play your voicemail on the program. All right, everybody, we're going to take a short little break here. And when we come back, we're talking all things reefer with Lisa Solomon of the Chicago Reader and Eddie Armstrong. It's another cannabis conversation. It's the Ben Jarofsky show. And we are live from my apartment where there's a lot of construction going on, some heavy duty construction. And we are live from Ben's attic. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Cannabis
2: Conversation Time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I do, I always bring on my partner in crime, uh, Lisa Solomon, to introduce our guest. I'm so excited to talk to this guest. I talked to him for about a half hour last night, uh, Lisa. Maybe even more than that. But guy is, in addition to being uh, an expert on cannabis, uh, a political junkie of the highest degree. So I'm really looking forward to getting into some political talk uh, after we're done with the cannabis talk, sort of like dessert for me. You understand what I'm saying, Lisa? It's like <laughs> dessert for me. Uh, so as we always do with Cannabis Conversation, I ask you, Lisa, to introduce our guest and uh, we'll start and you get to ask the first question. That's a courtesy we always extend to you. Uh, so uh, introduced our guest.
0: Great. So before I introduce the guest, I just want to give the latest numbers for rec sales in Illinois. In July, sales reached almost $61 million, up 28% from the previous month. So the state is raking in the tax dollars. Um, And now I will introduce our guest for today, Eddie Armstrong. So Eddie, I want to welcome you and I'd love for you to tell the listeners how you went from being the Arkansas house minority leader to a cannabis entrepreneur living in Chicago. What brought you here? All right, Eddie, you might be muted.
2: Eddie Armstrong. Are you there? I see his uh, face, but I do not hear him talking. Uh, Eddie, are you there? Did you push mute on your, uh, your button there? No, can't
0: hear me. If you roll across the screen, there should be a microphone that comes up. All right. While we are waiting for Eddie, I'll share another piece of cannabis news. And that is that Mission Dispensary, which is in the South Shore, they were terribly looted. The dispensary was practically destroyed. They just reopened after a two-month rebuild. So we're happy that patients in that area can get their medical cannabis again.
2: Yeah, I saw that uh, I saw that in the paper uh, Lisa uh, and um, yeah that whole area of the city it's, it's one of the f- most underserved areas of the city so when they lost that dispensary is a big deal going back to what you said about the 61 million dollars that was just 61 million dollars for the last month correct uh, the yes. month of July right am I, no, that, am I right about July that. or ju-
0: that yeah, was in July. Uh, it was 47.5 million. Um, yeah. So the state is getting more and more money in there. I know Eddie's trying to hop back on. There he is. Eddie,
4: what a, I'm sorry. Are you there? Yes. What a botch of an introduction. But Lisa, I heard your question. And Ben, thank <laughs> you for having me on today. <laughs> the power of technology. You just never know when you think you got it all right, you don't. But um, <laughs> thanks for having me on. And to your question of what led me from politics to cannabis and my adopted city of the beloved Chicago and this great state um, of Illinois. Um, I would just soon start with saying that my career has always and forever will be based um, in service. Um, I started, you know, very young with community service and leadership as my platform when I realized I wasn't making adequate grades. Um, And then the background of my environment that I grew up in, in the mid nineties, Um, You had um, Little Rock, Arkansas leading the country, unfortunately, as the murder capital of the world um, per capita. Um, So the stories that I'm hearing today in Chicago and have been hearing over the few years I've been here are not unfamiliar to me, but I'm still committed to service. Um, During my time, I've gone through service after growing up and surviving the inner city and went off to the University of Arkansas, where Um, I was very active in student engagement there and was elected the second African-American president of the student body. And I went on from there to continue to organize and mobilize young people that had the same thought and mindset as I did uh, and seeking a way out of our environments to do good service by our communities to follow in the footsteps. So um, the university was really a proving ground to me, um, along with organizations like the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, where I served as their national spokesperson. And um, I just remember a time when there were people like then Governor Clinton striving to be our president, um, playing basketball with the likes of Arthur Agee. Uh, Ben, I know that you're very familiar and Mm -hmm. have written about their story, but trying to identify ways to bring hope and opportunity to young people like myself during a time where our friends were dying at a rapid pace or you, you were scared to walk to school alone, And just taking that energy and plugging that into how I could impact my community and more importantly, not be the only one out there. I mean, I wanted more young people that look like me to be engaged. And so I set out on a pathway to do that through high school, college and and was successful. And then um, nobody gets where they're going by themselves. So I had some great mentors and leaders pluck me and provide me opportunities to continue to work in in the government um, affairs arena where I went on to work In the poultry industry, um, which is now the largest meat producing company in the world, Tyson Foods, and I became a lobbyist for them. Um, And then after that, I decided, you know, that wasn't enough. So I sank my teeth deeper into my community and wanted to reinvest. And um, I mobilized a group of young people in the outset of the. Um, killing of Michael Brown in Missouri that really wanted to make an impact. They actually wanted to protest, which I don't think protesting is bad, but I wanted them to know that there were ways you could make an impact in your own community. So they created a voter mobilization effort, which then helped me become, you know, their representative. And I wanted a three-way primary. And so all of that bag of goods uh, has just been a consistent drumbeat of my appetite for service while in office, um, to lead to cannabis, um, I was previewed to some things um, and the family that I had married into, my father-in-law who is a business savant um, and a leading medical physician um, in the gastroenterology sector, um, really started to look at different opportunities in his business space um, on how to diversify medicine and needs of the general public. um, And he opened a urine drug testing laboratory And in his opening of that laboratory, I was able to gain a position and really started to look at the needs of all Americans um, that were really being impacted by opioids. And from that, um, Illinois, southern Indiana, northern Missouri, southern Kentucky, northern Arkansas, Louisiana, the state of um, Louisiana, were all heavily being impacted by this opioid crisis. And we were seeing that through our um, our urine drug testing model. And simultaneously in 2013, Illinois took a bite out of the apple and passed medical cannabis. And I was paying very close attention to that while serving in the house of representatives. And meanwhile, in Washington, DC, there was a former speaker of the house, um, that has gone on, Ben, and I know we'll get into this later. Yes, we will. That has gone and made um, pretty well and was a big proponent against cannabis. Um, but has now been a victor of the spoils and is probably doing pretty successful on K street with Anchorage. Um, And he resigned from his speakership and stepped into, resigned from his seat and stepped into the cannabis industry. And I looked at the opportunity as it related to my community um, and the things that had impacted us for so long through the war on drugs, through the opioid crisis. And now whether we choose to legalize cannabis or not on the federal level, And I wanted to get involved. So uh, I stayed focused on service in the medical space. And as things started to shift in the medical space, um, while we were focused on compliance and really providing a service to the communities that needed it, um, cannabis started to boom. And we um, had a front row seat at how this was happening in Illinois, as well as in Arkansas. And that's when I started to get engaged, Lisa. Um, And so from that point on, um, I you know, made the conscious decision to step down as House Minority Leader and look to the hills for new opportunities in the cannabis industry in a state outside of Arkansas. And we decided to move to the beloved city of Chicago in which I was introduced to in college and just can't get enough of this town um, to really explore the opportunities around uh, medical and now adult use cannabis. And uh, as we moved here, Things started to move rapidly through the legislative ranks in Illinois to legalize cannabis on an adult use basis. And we felt we were in the right space to create a company that provided a service to consult new groups that wanted to engage in applying for licenses to grow and or sell cannabis. But more importantly, um, to provide a vehicle that would allow for access to healthcare professionals and the general public Investors that had an interest in investing in cannabis but didn't have an avenue to do so. So, we wanted to meet that need, hence, democratizing the Green Rush and the development of our equity crowdfunding platform, which does exactly that. We bring deals to our platform, we market those deals to investors, and investors will have an opportunity to invest in new budding companies, no pun intended or pun intended, um, <laughs> that are coming into the cannabis industry space. Think of it as the picks and shovels, um, VC for the gold rush. And we want to be that for the green rush through our crowdfunding platform, which we think is a real differentiator, but that's the short and sweet of what got me from politics, uh, Arkansas to now, um, Chicago. All right, Eddie, before
2: uh, I turn it back to Lisa to ask some questions about your business model, let me just say this. Uh, the man that uh, Eddie Armstrong was alluding to was John Boehner, former uh, Speaker of the House, uh, representative from Cincinnati, I want to say. Eddie, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I believe he's from Cincinnati. And he was... Uh, Adamantly uh, against the legalization of marijuana for most of his political career, uh, was a leader of the Republican Party uh, that resisted all efforts to legalize uh, marijuana or cannabis. Uh, is still the Republican Party is still uh, leading the way, uh, opposition to federally legalizing cannabis. Just pointing all this out. Uh, and so this is me speaking, not Eddie Armstrong. The blatant hypocrisy of a Republican politician spending his entire career as a part of a party that is continuing a war on drugs, is locking up people, mostly black people, for doing something that everybody does. Uh, Turning right around as soon as you can, going to the front of the line to make money off the legalized cannabis industry. Eddie Armstrong, I have a hard time sitting here on our show. We do what we can to promote uh, black entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry because fair is fair, in my humble opinion. Black people got hit the hardest by the war on drugs all these years. So now it's legal. Now, now suddenly we're... So, yeah, we're, we're, we've are we dropped the pretense that there's something really wrong with it. We were, All these years we pretended there was something wrong with it. Now we're like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with it. John Boehner's in on it.
4: So this so is just... That stands to out, out it, to me Eddie. right now. No, you're fine. and That stands out to me right now. You know, I mentioned at the outset that protests um, are justifiable. No no, no, different than, you know, our Tea Party days at the Boston Tea Party. There was a protest for representation and taxation. You know, that unrest brings out this, this opportunity for attention to be shined on things. And I took that perspective very seriously as an elected leader with constituents that may not have agreed with, the devil's drug or this, this bad, you know, omen on it. I'm a Southern, you know, black Baptist young boy raised with grandma that would, you know, probably wear me out for having a joint. But all of that to be said, this industry is booming. Yes. It's an, it's an amazing opportunity for those that are engaged. It's a new industry with tons of money. As she just mentioned, 61 million up 28% expected to maybe hit a billion in one year in the state of Illinois. Um, but who's making the money off of that? And I had to consciously look at how I could segue from this service to my constituents and bring the same type of service and opportunities into this industry right now that would give us an opportunity. To, of course, you know, you know, we're going to make money in this space, but the medicine, the access to education, the therapeutic treatment, the things that really matter on it are things that you know keep me grounded. And so if this plant or drug or product helps make people feel better, then why shouldn't it help help people's bottom lines and especially those that have disproportionately been impacted by it the most? I mean, story upon story of uncles murdered and family members serving prison time and very close friends, you know, short of losing their lives and going to serve jail time over very small proportions of this product. In an illegal state, I understand, hey, it's illegal. You shouldn't break the law. You shouldn't run a stop sign. You should wear a seatbelt. Hence, you should wear a mask. Um, If we make mandates, we should follow the rules of society. That's how we raise our children. That's how I'm governed. Um, That is the key. But to cut out one proportion and only see another proportion continue to succeed as a new industry comes into the U.S. marketplace it's just unacceptable, and that's exactly um, why I got in it without throwing any shade on John Boehner. Hey, he's got a family to feed, too. Okay. <laughs> Lisa, go ahead, ask your question.
0: Okay, that takes me to the question. It's actually a two-part, and it's a big question. What does true social equity look like, and how can this crowdfunding platform that you're putting together support equity applicants and entrepreneurs?
4: It's, it's, a, it's a real interesting bag to unpack but what does social equity look like you know here you have unrest in our streets and protests and this protest isn't because people just want to come to michigan avenue and and raid stores or go up north it's because they're dealing with a lack of something that they feel like they will never get a piece of so in anger and unrest call it what you want It's not the right thing to do, but they are crying out for something as well. And in this cannabis industry space, it's really pragmatic. At the outset of any company that's looking to incubate or put a company through its accelerator, from start to finish, it has to be a holistic approach of what that really means for developing generational wealth, establishing, coaching, mentoring, and guiding these new social equity applicants into prosperity. It is not developing something and then putting guardrails on it that may set people up to fail. Um, very similar to what sometimes happens in corporate America when they create these diversity affairs positions. But the, the leader of that position lacks a budget or lacks the bandwidth to really put in the programs that are necessary. Um, I think I have to give credence to Illinois for the way they approached it through the legislative body as opposed to taking it to the ballot. Um, and talking to Illinois experts that have been here, that were a part of helping to draft the legislation that have been in the community um, working through projects to make certain that minority communities are properly educated and prepared to go into business in this sector. Um, It looks like financial equity being at the table. If a company that gets a license and can't build out that companies or banks are prepared or Funding arms are prepared to assist them, either through the government or private parties. Uh, Mr. Pritzker, I'm sure, has a long list of relationships that could aid here. It looks like continuous um, observance and checking of making certain that any of these new businesses that are social equity applicants are consistently meeting their mark. You don't want to put them in a boat. Tell them to go out on Lake Michigan and not give them the instructions on how to drive the boat or maintain if the boat goes out and they need to have some help come to them. Um, So it is about putting in the right parameters for social equity to sustain itself, not just calling it something and then pulling it back and saying, oh, when they fail, we'll buy them up. And that's just another piece to our portfolio, which it's too early to call for me. Um, In the state I come from, there was no social equity um, component to that, to the degree and extent that the state of Illinois did it. Um, but I was a part of a, a, an extension that really worked hard at making certain that proportions of the social equity pieces stood out in their application being woman led, being African American um, led, having the right type of political and community involvement, education on build out. The pharmaceutical and medical approach to how they were going to implement their processes to make certain that the products they brought to the marketplace really aided and assisted the patients that were applying for it. So there are a lot of things in the visual goals of what social equity should look like. And, you know, the, the top of the list is, you know, the financial access for these groups that may or may not be able to survive once they get the license. Um, And if they get the license, then what's their five year plan look like? And how do they see a real opportunity that says I'm from the South side of Chicago. I've been an enthusiast my entire life, or I'm from the West side and I went to college to study this in agribusiness. And now I want to use my skills to make a, a sustainable company in my own community to help other people. What does that look like if they still lack the fortitude of financial opportunities to make that really come to life? So There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Um, I'm very impressed with what has happened here because, like I said, that didn't happen where I come from. There's a whole heap and help of things that happen in Arkansas that um, we could talk about for for hours. But uh, that's part of the reason I'm here is to see how this thing plays out, Lisa. It's a great question.
0: Yeah. Will your crowdfunding be able to help support some of these, or are you dealing solely with non-plant touching? That's a great
4: question. It's a non-plant touching component. And what we, as I mentioned, the picks and shovels outside of the plant touching side of actually getting the gold or touching the plant. We looked at this opportunity after surveying the country, 20 or 200 physicians and healthcare professionals we put through focus groups. And in our Q&As, some things stood out resoundingly with all of these folks. And that was the lack of education the lack of opportunity to know where to invest, if there were opportunities to invest in the next drug that was provided by GW Pharmaceuticals uh, because of the federal parameters. What does that mean for future investments? We took all of those answers and we set out to carve our own lane out to provide access to, say, my uncle who's got a pension fund and he wants to put up 20K or some of my friends in the investment world that are looking at a million plus to invest in any new startup. Our crowdfunding platform is specifically for those businesses that are non plant touching, that are entering the marketplace, textile companies, institutions like universities, the Cleveland school of cannabis is one that I could mention that they're accredited. They're educating individuals. Chicago state university now has a track program you're seeing certain medical schools pick this up the ama is discussing it it is continuously gaining reverberation in corporate america but how do you get those new companies in help them raise the money they need to be successful and then send them off to be a part of this booming budding industry
0: Uh, right so one of the issues we have with these license delays here COVID made it harder the state had so many more applications than they imagined, there was actually a letter sent to the state yesterday by the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois asking the state to release some of the funds that they've acquired through the taxation to cover the costs of equity applicants waiting to hear about their licenses. Because the craft growers, I think they had to have specific sites locked in. These delays, they're bleeding cash.
4: Intimately involved. Um, We are all in a very... um uncomfortable situation here in the state and the country with COVID and what it has done to, to curb this first and flatten it in a way that we can get to some sense of new business dealings. It won't be normal, but we have to get to some sense of a new normal. And I've talked to sat in rooms of, you know, conversations with one of the big three here that have sponsored these, um, accelerator programs or incubator programs. And the, the plight is still the same. The longer we delay, we had certain requirements and now we're pinned up against a pandemic. Banks that aren't banking it. And there are a few banks that are banking this. Let's, let's end that myth. There are banks in this industry that are out there and viable, but the capital that is needed is a real issue. And now the state has to, and hopefully we'll step in to answer the bell in some way that doesn't allow for them to be left by the wayside in an opportunity that they put in a lot of work time and effort to get to. I mean, I know some of these people very close and um, the, the issues are still real for them. Like, okay, we're going to get there, but we have no experience in raising real capital. And I say real capital is North of, you know, 5 million. Um, when you start looking at these craft grows and what they're going to cost to build out, the equipment that will be needed, the staff that will be needed to acquire expertise and service and SOPs and IP. That's that's a long list of future expenses that a lot of these applicants don't have. So there will be there will need to be some relief there or they've been in my case and in this case I guess set up to fail if you don't have those 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 components in place.
0: That's well, very I, let Ben take it over in just a minute. I know he's really itching to get onto uh, political topics, but I just want to say it's wonderful to hear an entrepreneur like you talk about the importance of the medical part, because in some states, when recreational was legalized, the medical program started to fall apart. And I really hope that there are people, many people like you that want to keep this medical program strong here in Illinois.
4: Well, you got to think about this. I come from a state that wanted to do away with Obamacare, and it was like a bad word in my home state. And what I witnessed while serving in the House of Representatives was a group of D's and R's sitting at the table and figure out a real problem for a population of three million people than the number of people that would have been impacted by Obamacare were like 250,000 patients. This is patients we're talking about. So medical cannabis, however you couch it to usher it into your state, OK, I get it. But let's not leave that by the wayside. These are still patients we're talking about. Physicians want to know how to treat these patients in the future. There was a recent article about covid and vape smoking and pot smoking and the risk you face. That's no different than too much consumption of alcohol during this pandemic. I mean, or pills, you know, the side effects from those that we saw in the opioid crisis and we still see. The the answer is if we're going to call it medical or adult, it's the same plant. How do you continue to move the needle on educating the general public on the benefits and the risk for a plant like this? And then how do you highlight companies that are taking this plant and creating unique opportunities for CBD, CBG um, based products um, and textiles, um, hemp crete? Um, sheets and towels that you can now utilize that are antimicrobial antifungal made from hemp this is not new science to some degree as we all know pre-1930s you know a lot of this was used as the American way of life so let's let's look at the whole picture but let's not forget from where we started. And if we're going to call it medical let's talk about those medical benefits and risk and if we're going to talk about the adult use of it let's do the exact same thing there too so It's important to me, given the family background I come from and the regulatory and compliance background I come from in politics, that if not me, then who to keep the drumbeat moving on exactly why, you know, as we take the regulatory reins off of this plant or this drug, that we not look at the whole picture and really, truly try to help the least of these that are getting engaged to be successful and benefit from it.
0: Yes. Yes
2: all right very good uh thank you uh, Lisa. all right eddie i'm going to switch things to politics Uh-oh. Uh, i've been promoting this all day uh, eddie armstrong uh, before he got in the cannabis business uh was a state rep in arkansas he was the um, leader of the democratic party in the state house as such he knows a thing or two about uh how republicans behave when they're in the majority he may go back to politics uh when uh, in a little while so uh it's not completely out of uh eddie's system as he explained to me last night. Uh, Eddie, first question I have for you is a a gentleman from Arkansas. We talk a lot about uh, Senator Tom Cotton, and I know he's a political peer of yours, roughly the same uh, generation. Uh, He is the senator from Arkansas, and as such, he's positioning himself as sort of the heir to Donald Trump's uh, style of politics. He's already uh, come out and essentially advocated a whole new approach to viewing slavery. Slavery, Eddie Armstrong, as though it were a uh, the founding fathers and endorsed it because it was a necessary evil. So he's he he is already sort of taking the mantle of Donald Trump uh, and the Donald Trump revolution and trying to claim it as we move on. What's your uh, dealings been with uh, Tom Cotton, and do you share my concern? Uh, about what would happen if he uh, gets more power than he already has.
4: I want to dial back, Ben, and just simply say that the segue from cannabis to politics, or politics to cannabis, um, is something that you know I've thought long and hard about for listeners that say, "How does a an elected official go from politics into cannabis and and hopefully have a future in politics again?" Um, I am raised of the Clinton era, um, I, I witnessed hope and an opportunity in my home state under he and his wife when I was a very young boy and they attended my church and all of that good stuff. And I've just seen somebody like him as they coined the comeback kid, you know, come back from far worse. And my position on cannabis will always be the same, that it is a conduit to my extension of service. I just want to go on record for that. And speaking of service, and the senator from the great state of Arkansas. Um, I recognize, um, Ben, that we all have our own opinions <laughs> and our job as elected officials, you know, starting from me carrying my mayor's bag when I was 16, was that it's always and will forever be about the point of view of the people that we represent, the voter and not about our own point of view. And it seems that the senator has chosen the latter. And to me, that's dangerous. When you take the oath of office, and you've gained all of the votes from the constituents that have taken your word that you will represent their interest. Now, mind you, it wasn't one group's interest. It was all the people he campaigned for. And that's a different bag. And I must say that, you know, going to the University of Arkansas, speaking to the Kappa Sigs and the Phi Deltas and the black community and the Hispanic students, it taught me that there was a whole bag of people out here that I was representing. And I could not lose sight of that if I wanted to adequately represent their interest on our campus or in my community as I became state representative. But it seems that our senator has taken a position that is maybe one of his own or of the mantra of our president. And that wasn't who he was when I was in Boy State. Uh, And his dad was a part of the mentoring program there. And to see that you could take a personal point of view, it's dangerous. And I see it as wrong anytime you have a problem that needs to be solved or resolved. In each state, California had a budget crisis. Illinois couldn't pass a budget. Arkansas, lowest in education and health care. I mean, there are several different issues for each state, and those are problems that elected officials have the challenge to resolve or figure out a pro- or, you know an, an opportunity to make it better. In Arkansas, we took Obamacare. We made it Arkansas Works. Call it something different, but we're still providing health care insurance and services for the least of these, those farmers, Women, young people, you know, our governor, then Mike Huckabee created our kids first. These were programs that were established to help people that spoke about their problems. And when you lose track of that, I think you lose track of your way. And the only way to get out of all of this is to not do away with acknowledging the problem the problems that our constituents have is what we should do first acknowledge them and then try and find ways to resolve them when you step away from the problems that we have in the first place and don't acknowledge them then you're doing yourself and our constituents a disservice and when I see Senator Tom Cotton say something you know to the tune that you know um, systematic racism doesn't exist or you know, the loot and shoot or, you know, going off about the New York Times piece um, and gaining light for that as opposed to really talking about the issues that hamper the 3 million people in our great state back home in Arkansas. I know that we've lost our way some way. And I think that, you know, he has his right to his own opinion. But I just know retail politics, door to door, whether it's gone or not because of the pandemic, the people of Arkansas, the people of Illinois, Missouri, Indiana, any of these states, at the end of the day, it's about what you can do to continue to help them, not through maybe a subsidy program, but just be their representative and not be someone advantageous for the light because of the timing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just challenge that. I, I say to the senator, you know, don't forget about where you came from. That's what I was always taught. And, you know, while he may represent the, the voice of a few, that's not the whole sum of the great state of Arkansas. And it's not the sum of our country to that degree right now and scare tactics and fear and, you know, choice words, they have their way of moving into homes and swaying votes. And we have to get away from that and really Line ourselves back to the principles of trying to help our community, our neighbors, our citizens have true representation, whether that be in city council, the state house, the senate, or the U.S. government. Um, so I don't know. Tom Cotton's got his work cut out for him. Uh, he sh-
2: he certainly does. He needs to do a one eighty, in my humble opinion. I I don't know his roots the way you do. I I just know him. Uh, As a figure on the national stage, Eddie, uh, I get somehow or other I get his emails on a regular basis. Not sure how that happened, but I get Tom Cotton emails, and his rhetoric is strident. Um, He, everybody that on the Democratic Party, he pretty much labels as a lefty radical, uh, which is. Kind of funny because I know I have my differences with so many Democrats. You know, I am, am on the left. And to well, put somebody like Nancy Pelosi in the same boat as me or Lori Lightfoot is really not fair to either one of us. But that's the tactic you're doing.
4: Well, you you know, you have to be careful of name calling. And my mother always told me, be careful of what you say. Be mindful of who you call out and who are you. And I understand that stage. I cut my teeth in Washington, D.C., you know, and I and I came back to my home state because I realized I had opportunity there. And I worked through that process. And Tom did exactly, Senator did exactly what he needed to do. He went away for college. He served in the military. He's done his bit. Um, but when you get to the real pragmatic approach of who understands the dynamics that exist on the red side or the blue side, Everybody out there has a voice. You have to be able to take the differences of all of those voices, in my opinion. I'm not telling him how to do his job. This is what I envision for my future. Take the differences of all of those voices and develop not only myself, but encourage other young leaders to follow you that can you know motivate and have the ambition to really try and figure out the hard problems that our people face. I mean, this won't go away. There will forever be issues, problems and opportunities in our great country. But what has made us this country is being able to overcome each and every one of them we've faced, you know, as an African-American, you know, I'm about being able to bring my services to underrepresented groups and making certain that they're represented. You know, I don't think that in my study of history, a lot of what I've seen was ever really uniformly approached in a way that really pushed the needle of commitment to make a difference in the African-American community and be a part of addressing their narrative. If so, my Republican colleagues would have, should have, could have adopted the opportunity to admit whatever wrongs that were done after African-Americans were such a strong part of their party. And my Democrat, former Dixiecrat colleagues, can do the exact same thing as opposed to a we need you now or we don't need you at all and we'll just go about it our own way. Hence Senator Tom Cotton's you know alienation of you know a group of people. Which if he says he doesn't think systematic racism exists, I feel like he's alienating me and several of his friends and and maybe former you know buddies that see that differently. So. There's just a call for leadership like none other right now in our country. And, um, right now, you know, I think we need some healing in our country. You know, people are truly ready to move forward. Um, and divisive leadership is not helping this process on any front. It just isn't. Now I'm saying all of this, how do you fit into a party on either side that makes that the narrative as opposed to what we got going on right now. And that's where Joe Biden comes in, um, I'm just raised in a society and in a generation that hope and opportunity were real. I was able to take advantage of some of those opportunities and make good on, on my success track. And it wasn't just any one black person or white person that helped me. It was a collective group of people. And there was no party label on that. And I feel like our country deserves people that were impacted in that way to give that back to their communities or their states or their government.
2: Eddie, I want to uh, ask you a question about what it was like being the head of the Democrats in the state house during, uh, when the Republicans were in control. We and now uh, in in uh, the state of Illinois, the Democrats run the state house. Michael Joseph Madigan is the House Speaker. He runs, and I've uh, had Republicans complain to me for a long time about how uh, Madigan is not fair uh, to them. He won't give their legislation a hearing, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, what is it like, just? So my Republican friends in Illinois might hear uh, what it's like to be the head of the Democrats in a legislature controlled by Republicans. Are, were the Republican uh, leaders open-minded about your legislation? Were they tolerant of your legislation? Did they give it a hearing or did they bottle it up in committee uh, and throw it in the bath, in the garbage? How did, how did they treat
4: you? I um, I must say that I did get my share of. Um, flexing of the muscle um, from my colleagues on the right side of the aisle when I uh, assume the post of minority leader. And what I mean by that, um, let me paint this picture. The great state of Arkansas for 100 years in the legislative branch served under the rule of the Democratic Party which meant that a lot of the succession of leadership and how the party picked its ticket and where the funds went were controlled from the governor's office down. And the party had some play in that. Well, we had just elected a new president of the country and his name was Barack Obama. And this was a thankless job, but I had experience at organizing and mobilizing people through my lobbying experience. Um, for Tyson Foods, and I used those skill sets to really begin to work within my own Democratic caucus. And what I witnessed was, you know, we went from fiscal conservatives and Christian conservatives to Tea Party conservatives to a, a, a Trump movement that was starting to blossom. And none of them had really had a bite at the apple of real Success, like the whole thing's ours. You know, you've seen this whole wave come over the country, and legislative offices across the country were now in majority Republican rule. Governors across the country were now in majority rule. And as the minority leader of then 36 members, um, We witnessed um, because of some of our political maneuvering just to gain access to leadership on certain committees or stack a certain committee that some of our payback under the dome or inside the Capitol would be a immediate stop on certain legislation that certain members brought. And I never forget, I brought a very non-controversial bill um, to a particular committee in our first active weeks of presenting legislation in the, in the state house. And, um, my bill got a note. I mean, they killed my bill on arrival. I mean, it was a real rush through committee. My first bill failed. I had three bills I was running that day. My second bill failed. And I remember the committee chairman saying, well, you know, representative Armstrong, you want to give your third swing, three strikes you're out. And I was like, you know, what the heck? These are non control bills, but I've seen the first positioning of my colleagues to really start to strong arm government because they had the opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen a lot of that wear off. It's been more perpetuation of it as opposed to I, I, I take that back. In certain instances like Obamacare, where you had candidates that ran adamantly to repeal and replace Obamacare, Once they got into the statehouse and realized the true impact for the constituents they represented, their tone became a little less boisterous on repeal and replace and more on how can we make this more conducive to our constituents. So I can't throw everybody in one lump bag. But in this particular committee, they definitely made me eat humble pie (laughs) to say we are the new game in town, you know, and let your let your members know that. So we just had to become really creative on how to orchestrate the backroom opportunities that were in our face in order to get anything accomplished in that legislative um, period. Yeah. Um, today, it's much worse um, to some degree. It, you know, I don't know which way they're going up, down, left, right, but you know, there are a few things that you know, really make states thrive and that's education, safety, healthcare, infrastructure. And, you know, if states can get the budget, if, if states can really hone in on that and less of some of these social issues that tear us apart, um, you know, there's hope. Well,
2: uh, as you experience firsthand in Arkansas, Republicans play hardball politics. They play to win. I talked about it earlier in the show. I won't bring it back, uh, but I just what the Republicans and operatives are doing in Wisconsin to put Kanye West's name on the ballot. Uh <laughs> just sort of displays it full force. I urge everybody to check out uh, that story Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it already. They play to win, uh, Eddie. You know that from your experience. Do uh, they play to win,
4: though? I mean, is it really a play to win? Um, I've got really good Republican friends, and some of this is unorthodox. To the general public, it looks like a play to win, but it's an unorthodox sense of madness sometimes, and it works out for my Republican colleagues. I had great friends that switch parties out of political necessity and I i dare not give them all this credit of strategizing the play to win. I think we have a situation where the pendulum is truly swung one way and those that are smart and strategic on either side will sustain themselves through this period we're in. Um, I don't I can't say they play to win. I mean, they're playing right now because they are winning, but I told you, I came from a state where it was really controlled one way. And you know what? Those Democrats were not far left liberal leaning Democrats. Those are more middle of the road, conservative Democrats in the state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Think of Mike Beebe, who was the golden child of the party and, you know, the most popular governor in the country during his time when he was governor. Um, think about Clinton in his time and, and what he was able to do. Um, So I I can't say that it's a play to win strategy as opposed to really kind of, you know, I feel like sometimes it's flying by the seat of the pants and now they've got so many multiplicities within their party that where do you even identify yourself
2: yeah. Um, all right, Eddie, we have to uh, end this conversation and end the show for today. I'm going to uh, I'd love to bring you back to talk more politics, uh, particularly love to have a debate with you about uh, William Jefferson Clinton. Uh, <laughs> I'm going through some struggles with Bill Clinton right now. I know you have a different perspective than I do because you're from the state of Arkansas uh, and you probably know him well. I am sick and tired of Bill Clinton uh, being a figurehead in the Democratic Party. Uh, And I have voted for him, just so you know this, Eddie, I just want to let you know, three times I've had the opportunities to vote for Clinton's and I'm three for three on those opportunities. All right. But I've just had it with Bill, not Hillary, but Bill. But that's a conversation for another day. I'm sort of teasing that as a conversation we can have. Cannot Um, wait. Cannot, cannot wait. wait to have the great debate. Cannot Eddie cannot Armstrong wait. debate. Uh, Eddie, if folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about uh, your company, how do they how can they do so?
4: Sure. You know, we're on, on most of the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook as the Cannabis Capital Group. You can find our website at the Cannabis dot com you know and again this is about us being able to provide a vehicle in which those that may not have ever had an opportunity to get involved in this industry to get involved and as it relates to politics let's go Um, I think this is a real interesting time it's a much needed um, opportunity for us to take a long look at where we want our country to be and um, I look forward to being back on your show Ben. All right. Good. Very good. Thank you very much, Eddie Armstrong. Uh, Lisa,
2: before I let you go, any uh, updates from my, from my beloved Chicago Reader?
0: I just want to thank Eddie quickly for coming on. It was great. Um, and anyone who would like to see some of the amazing books and other products we have available to help support the Chicago Reader, go to com slash support. And Ben's book is going to be joining that site sometime in the near future. His best of articles, he worked so hard on.
2: Yes, I worked too hard on that. Too much uh, angst and anxiety, uh, Lisa, was uh, dealt to that thing. I'm glad uh, I got through it. All right, thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you very much, Eddie Armstrong, uh, Doctor D. Before we head out the door, got any updates for us?
1: Absolutely, I do. A few updates here. Uh, First off, in uh, non-political related news, uh, I'm not sure if you heard the news or not yet, Ben Jarofsky, but Jim Boylan is going to still be the Bulls coach. They're keeping him. You heard that? No. No you got to be kidding me. No, sir. I did not hear that. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and our dear friend Joe Colley. Looks like we got a reason to bring him on the show again.
2: Joe, come back. <laughs> You're coming on next. I can't believe this.
1: The NB... I was mad about the Tiffs. I was mad about Tom Cotton. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah, it's not your day yeah. here, dude. Uh, oh, my God. Go to bed early. <laughs> Just end it as soon as you can. Uh, it says here the NBA bubble is going strong and will stick around for a while. So apparently, will Jim Boylan? For th- uh. Yeah, yeah. So uh, hang tight non sports fans here. Uh, it says here, uh, let me look here. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to read anymore. You get it. Yep, <laughs> no, Boylan's sticking around. I'm just going to say this to uh, all my
2: listeners out there who are not sports fans. Let me just tell you this my beloved Chicago Bulls were terrible last year. Absolutely terrible. Okay. The players didn't like the coach. The coach seemed like a nice guy, but he didn't know what he was doing. They, they brought on new management. They go, we're going to be a whole new Bulls team. I'm all excited. And then they keep the coach. D, I don't know what to say. What's What am I more upset about? All that money going to Lincoln Yards or Jim Boylan still being, ah, you know what? Lincoln Yards is worse, D. Yeah. All right, Lincoln Yards
1: is worse. Shout out to Jim on the live stream chat. He says, I just ruined Ben's week. Yeah, I'm, af- I'm afraid I did, Jim. <laughs> Jim, you're really not- Triple J says, Ben's going to start smoking reefer again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm gonna have to go back to Reefer. Another
2: year with Jim Boyle and his coach. We're gonna go this way. We're gonna go that way. God, my beloved bulls. What do you guys (laughs) want to lose? Is that it? You know? You say, how Far do we have to go before we lose Ben as a Bulls? I think that's what the strategy is. Let's see what we got to do to lose Ben. Everybody I know is laughing at me. Well, I get texts from friends. Oh, I'm rooting for the Lakers. I love the Lakers. Everybody loves the Lakers, you know, and I'm? I'm still a Bulls fan. They laugh at me. All
1: right. Oh, my God. So, Ben, sorry to bum you out, but yeah, that boiling guy's sticking around. <laughs>
2: I was like, I barely got over that Tiff thing, you know. What I'm saying? <laughs>
1: But, hey, maybe this will cheer you up. Maybe this will cheer you up. We got a Madigan Gate update. Ooh, okay, a (laughs) Madigan Gate update.
2: All right, let me guess. Somebody came out and said... uh
1: I am calling on the speaker to step down. No. Well, yes, it is. And no, not Will Gazzardi again. (laughs) But um, Madigan Gate, for those who uh, may not know, that's the time utility giants Commonwealth Edison admitted to arranging jobs, contracts and payoffs to Democratic Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan's associates. But if you ask Mike Madigan, he did nothing wrong. So it's allegedly. Uh, So uh, the second uh, it says here, a second member of state party central committee calls on on Madigan to resign, uh, Iris Martinez, senator, was the first. Ben Jarovsky, would you like to take a guess as to who the second is?
2: Oh my God, you're really catching me off guard. Peter Jenko,
1: not Peter Jenko. It's Carol Ronan.
2: Oh, Carol Roman, former state senator from the north side of Chicago. Okay. Wow, you're Jeez. a
1: huge nerd. Yes, that's exactly what she is. Uh, she posted it on uh, Twitter here. Uh, let me look through here and find she uh, had a tweet. Saying that uh, she's wanting Madigan to step down. Oh, here we go. Carol Ronan, Speaker Madigan should resign leadership posts. Illinois Dims bigger than one person. Uh, at Dims for Illinois has excellent diverse leaders for victory without distractions. We win when we stand for something bigger than ourselves, not one individual
2: well carol ronan was a state senator for uh, several years on the north side of chicago as i said and uh she uh, her replacement the woman who came afterwards heather Staines, who was perhaps i think she, heather may have been the first person the first elected official uh to uh, urge democrat elected official i said republicans have been urging him to step down forever uh <laughs> so like the credibility on this matters a little, uh, but uh, anyway, so I'm not, I can't, I guess I can't be surprised that much that Carol. Lohner.
1: All right. And uh, we didn't cover it in the news because surprise, surprise, our host Ben Jarowski talked for like 25 minutes about tips. Um <laughs> Ben calls yeah. him DB and once again oh, listeners no, that does not stand for douchebag it stands for Darren Bailey he's the downstate representative out of Clay County who's been needling our Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker since the pandemic began uh, DB has made the local news again Illinois Governor J.B. well this comes from NBC5 Chicago by the way uh, <laughs> Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is once again lashing out at state rep Darren Bailey DB after the downstate lawmakers sought for a a judge to rule that the governor was in contempt of court and that he should be jailed. According wow, to this dude—they <laughs> don't play, man. Hey,
2: we just talked to Eddie Armstrong about Arkansas Republicans, Eddie. Republicans in Illinois, they don't
1: play. According to court records, Pritzker is facing what is known as a, quote, indirect civil contempt motion in connection with a lawsuit filed by Bailey in Clay County. The motion accuses the governor of ignoring prior orders by the court and says he should be held in contempt for continuing to issue executive orders in connection to the ongoing coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic. The motion seeks to have Pritzker, uh, Pritzker held in contempt of court and to be imprisoned in the Clay County Jail, quote, until he purges himself by rescinding the above mentioned executive orders. Pritzker all but scoffed at a question about the motion, saying that Bailey's court victories in Clay County have been repudiated in numerous other Illinois courts. Pritzker said, quote, all I can say is the rulings in Clay County have been ridiculous. There's no <laughs> ha. There's no there's no other court that has ruled as they have on the matter that they ruled on. In fact, there's a judge on Friday who specifically pointed to Clay County and said that the decision by that judge was bereft of any legal analysis, and I think that's accurate. Mendrowski, do you think that's accurate? Yes. <laughs> You're crazy. That's that Judge Michael McHaney. Dude, when when are we going to do our live broadcast in Clay County? That's all I'm asking. uh, Come on. Invite us down, DB. Actually, they'll probably throw us in jail. I was going to say, the time uh, Dennis and Ben went to jail. That would be a great podcast. Yeah, uh, DB, they they would
2: discover marijuana in our... Look at this. Get them in jail. But it's legal in Illinois. Not in Clay County. (laughs) Hey, folks. This is why I always say I have a lot of sympathy for JB Pritzker, the governor of the state of Illinois. Laura, you got it easy. Okay? Uh, you say the schools won't open and the, everybody's mad at the teachers' union. <laughs> you got it easy. No one's mad at you. Oh, no, I hate the teachers' union. Oh, the damn teachers' union. Without them, there would be no coronavirus. That's kind of the theme. So, but JB's got to deal with Republicans who want to throw him in jail, all right? Lori Lightfoot, you should, every day you should wake up and go, thank goodness, the worst I have to deal with is the Chicago Teachers Union. They're not trying to throw me in jail. JB pritzer has got to deal with DB and his pal, the Hang 'em high judge, Michael McKaney. They want to throw him in jail. D, guaranteed, we go down
1: to Clay County, you and I are going to prison, all right? Get in that jail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It'd be, I, I, it, it'd be worth the excellent content of uh, two podcasters going to jail live on the show. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, I uh, would have to disagree with oh, you. come I, on.
2: I am not ready to go to. Uh, Pat Whalen, could you go to jail for me? Like, Can I get a sub to go to jail? Pat Whalen. Anyway, what, what more can I say than the Republican Party in the state of Illinois is out of its collective mind? Uh, They've just lost all sense. You know, guys, this COVID thing is for real. It affects you, too. (laughs) Forget it, D. D. (laughs) D.B. Between Jim Jim Boylan, D.B., the Tiffs, and the beaches are closed, but the restaurants are open. It's not been a good day for me, D. D. I I just got to say. But... I want to say this. What? We have some Jeffrey Epstein conversation coming up. Leonard Goodman uh, will be doing an interview with Leonard Goodman, which will drop next week or the week. I gotta, our schedule is so uh, off because we're taking the the, the week off and we're backlogging these interviews that we usually drop at the end of the day. So uh, the doctor and I will have to figure out when um, the Leonard Goodman yeah. interview will be. Uh, But but I'm looking forward to that conversation
1: Be on the lookout for our Leonard Goodman interview It's always a great time talking with Leonard Goodman Oh, and it looks like I have a quote here from Darren Bailey In response to all this Hold on, let me look here (laughs) Darren Bailey said, quote Who's going to feed them hogs? correct (laughs) Uh,
2: DB, he's going to throw Pritzker in jail Hey, JB, I'm just giving you a little advice Stay out of Clay County The Angham High judge is looking for you
4: That's
1: insane! Uh. So <laughs> insane! I can't believe that. That's uh, uh, Illinois, man. Only in Illinois. Illinois is crazy.
2: Illinois is insane. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we're we're kind of a little wacky here in the in Chicago as well. D. Uh, remember one more time. You can go to the restaurant on the beach, but you can't go to the beach. Got that? Instead, we're going to send everybody over to Belmont Harbor. Uh, Just take a dive
1: into the uh, gasoline-laced waters and dodge the boats as they go by. Yeah, and uh, shout out to Jim on the live stream chat. He says, "I don't know. Maybe JB Pritzker would give you two guys a pardon." Yeah, I don't think he'll have our back either. Really, (laughs) not. No, we pretty much alienated every
2: politician in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. D, and
1: it's.
4: Anyway, what yeah, I, I don't think it? he I, will.
1: I, you know, I I don't know why, but I just don't think he will. And for the record, I'm yeah.
4: not <laughs> a perfect person.
2: <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would come to our. Ha! Those douchebags.
3: Yeah, keep them in there.
2: <laughs> the one thing JP Pritzker and DB agree on. Huh? Throw Ben and Dennison. <laughs> Get into that So All right. So uh, that's our show today, uh, everybody. I want to thank uh, Eddie Armstrong and uh, Lisa Solomon for coming on, being great guests. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Eddie Armstrong could tell you, as Lisa could tell you, as JB Britz could tell you, as DB himself would tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of Petty Cash. See you tomorrow, everyone.
1: And remember, everybody, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews and so much more at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Guys, there's over like 600 episodes of the show. All right. So I'm sure there's some that you've missed. Go catch up and download those interviews. live stream chat. Go check them out as well. And if you're listening on the download, be sure to join us live Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and YouTube. Just go check it out, everybody.
0: I'm going to shut it off, I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home.
4: Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, 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 The phone, make sure the kids hear words.